Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave Across Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're at our ultimate conclusion of yeah. the book, Truth in a Culture of Doubt. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed uh, the book. We've covered a lot of different topics, problem of evil. Um, can we trust the that the Bible was, or the New Testament was written by the authors that yeah. claimed to have been? Or was it forged? Or, yeah. Or what, how do we, how does it compare with other, uh, you know, other books that we call apocryphal books? Mm-hmm. Apocryphal yeah. books that were written. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff we've covered right. here. Yep. Yeah. The contradictions of the Bible, all, all that stuff. So, yeah. um, essentially, w- what our authors have done here is taken a, a, a book of Bart Ehrman's and kind of responded to it in a chapter form. So uh, you've kind of gotten uh, at least a a, um, a version of Bart Ehrman's writings. And so, obviously, you probably would get a lot more detail if you read his stuff. But um, I think our our authors have done a, a fair job of of praising him when he gets things right, but yeah. also saying, "Hey, th- there's there's some issues uh, and problems." Yeah, tomfoolery yeah. sometimes <laughs> going uh, afoot, um, and so uh, we're we're um, taking this uh, conclusion chapter because uh, they do bring up still a lot of uh, important points here. Um, it's not just a your standard, uh, you know, everyone should get along, or we should all try and <laughs> understand more from each other's perspectives. That's right. That's right. Um, the, the the authors um, have a, have a viewpoint. Um, that they um, want to present, and so um, that's that's uh, what they're going to do here, and so we're going to cover that as uh, best we can. Yeah, this one is called Reasons to Believe, right? right? Yeah. And uh, so they ask the question, can we trust the Bible? Because that's essentially what we've been asking in this. At least the majority of the For, for the of most the part, yeah. yeah. Can we trust yeah. God? Can we trust the, the Bible? Can we trust that the Bible accurately portrays uh, who God is yeah. by the people that uh, should know him, uh, that he's entrusted his word to, uh, all those things. So, can the Bible be trusted? Ehrman, uh, as well as other critics, answer with a resounding no. Hmm. Not, not shocking there. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people would disagree with that. They insist that the Bible's difficulties are so extensive that skepticism is the only reasonable conclusion for an unbiased scholar. Yeah. I'd like to meet an unbiased <laughs> scholar first, but okay. <laughs> However, this is simply not the case. This is not to say that there aren't difficulties in the Bible, such as apparent chronological differences and theological tensions, which, hey, we've covered some of those in yeah. other books. Yeah. And there have been those things written about for thousands of years. That's right. They've, yeah. they've been known. Yeah. They've been discussed. Yeah. Early they've church fathers have, been, have yeah. talked about it. And yeah. You can get whole uh, books just based on one thing or, you know, <laughs> the cleansing the temple or you get a book of the the. Bible difficulties, the best of them, and get them in short form or long form or look at them the in the Greek. The best of the difficulties. Yeah, huh? something like that. <laughs> the most difficult of the difficulties. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but as one scholar noted uh, more than uh, 25 years ago, the difficulties raised by the biblical phenomena are, on the whole, a good deal less intractable than is sometimes suggested. So. Yeah. Usually it's uh, oh th- this this is this is the death knell for Christianity. That's this right. is the thing that proves them wrong. Or here's a historical fact that we know we know the Hittites didn't exist, and then oh <laughs> suddenly we find the entire Hittite army and their entire civilization. That's right. Pontius Pilate yeah. didn't exist. Oh here we have an inscription and it mentions Pontius Pilate. Right. Whoops. Right. Once again. So <laughs> nevertheless, the church to a large part has not sufficiently taken note of and passed down the historical and theological knowledge that builds the foundations for reasonable faith, right? They, you know, the church has kind of allowed this to kind of slip 
slip by and under the rug and that sort of thing, at least, you know, in the past, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think uh, James White has, has said in uh, his show on the dividing line that um, he has to um, make this stuff known because he deals with people in debates that bring this stuff up and it's just, why isn't it not known? It's because we kind of refuse to, to w- want to bring the Bible's true nature to life. We, you know, we, we, we want that nice um, underpinning of, oh, it's, you know, it was kind of handed down through mystery and, and it was perfectly preserved and we don't need to, 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 right. to look at the, 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 the nuance, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the messiness of history. <laughs> if we all just have this idea that our authors talk about, you know, that Bart Ehrman sometimes has of God has to do it this way. So if you're, you're writing the Bible and you write John 3.16, you said for Jesus so loved the world and you, you, your hand would stop. And there, there'd be a mystery of, right. of, of or or you'd automatically you. you'd write Jesus, but then it would turn into God. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah. we just don't see that. And yeah. the, the I think the church uh, wants to wants to not get into that because they almost want to speak to the lowest common denominator. They they don't they don't want to explain it. They don't want people's faith to be shaken. They don't want to uh, you know create a ruckus. They just want to kind of teach and we all want to feel good in, in the sermon or, you know, <laughs> let's talk about sin or what Jesus does for us, but all that stuff kind of, we can kind of push it away. That, right. That's, that's for you to do in your own time, uh, which there's something to be said about that, but also we need to be honest about how we got the Bible, yeah. where it comes from, exactly. um, the, the messy parts of history, right, the fun right. parts of history. <laughs> and so into this environment, Ehrman has uh, entered, right? He's found an audience among past and present church scores. Uh, some of them skeptics, many of whom are interested, shocked, and left wondering why they've never learned any of this in their churches. Right. Right? right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, uh, despite the anxiety that uh, Ehrman's rhetoric can produce, however, in some ways he has done us all a favor. He has focused discussions on topics to which everyday Christians and pastors have given uh, inadequate attention for too long. Yeah. And so, uh, you know. So he's he, kind of forced the issue for he, us. Yeah, right? he's, yeah. He's, he's made it popular, which is shocking but it's almost like you can only have that type of 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 uh, fanfare from a skeptical point of view so you know um, this might be a god using imperfect people for right. perfect ways that's right yeah yeah good so um you know for instance uh erdman frequently argues uh heresy has an equal claim as christianity to orthodoxy in the early church right In making this argument, he knows that our New Testament canon could have easily included various Gnostic texts, right? So, you know, why do we choose these? Well, the the strongest, most powerful one kind of thing, Mm -hmm. right? However, as we pointed out, as was pointed out by authors in in Chapter 5, Erdman, um, in Did Jesus Exist, writes, and here's a quote from this book, uh, we have no, we have nothing to suggest that the beliefs embraced by later Gnostic Christians were present in first century rural Palestine. And so the Gnostic sayings of Jesus found in such Gnostic Gospels as the Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Mary almost certainly do not go back to Jesus himself, but were placed on his lips by his later Gnostic Right? And so he admits it. Wow. You know, so yes, these, these books don't, these Gnostic books, you know, like the gospel of Philip or whatever, they don't go back to Jesus. They're not what he said. They're different than what he said. 
okay, mm-hmm. then why should we accept them? Right? right. And that's why we don't accept them. Right. right? And, and so er- Ehrman tends to have this, this two, two point of view thing that he, he brings up in one, but not the other. Or he says, you know, the New Testament is the worst thing we could possibly have because those aren't the words of Jesus. They happen so far later. But then you ask him, well, where do we get the life of Jesus? Where's the, the best evidence from it? Well, well from the New Testament, New Testament doc- of course. Documents. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, which which is it? Like, yeah. It can't be both. It seems like one's in the exclusion of the other. Yeah, so, you know, this kind of statement is helpful to his argument in a book, for instance, like, Did uh, Jesus Exist? Right. You know, as he sets out to defend the historicity of Jesus. But it's contradictory to his views on early Christianity expressed in other places, right? And so you really can't have it both ways. Right? <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. It seems yeah. like the, the two... Uh, fallen contradictory paths. So uh, while clearly many of his core beliefs have changed since his fundamentalist days, Ehrman's expectations for what the Bible must be in order for it to be considered inspired have apparently not changed all mm. that much. Mm. And so this is kind of what we talk about when we talk about the, the fundamentalist view on the Christian side is, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a, a, a Mormon type view of the golden plates handed down or like a, uh, a, a direct download beam down from the Holy Spirit to <laughs> apostles and they they sat up straighter and wrote in the exact the exact way uh, that Atomatons, that he, he, he robots right. yeah and so yeah. We, we just don't see that and we we, we see actually um, a, a better way of, of preserving or having confidence that uh, the, the words that were meant for us to read today have been preserved and um, channeled appropriately. Mm. So in fact, it appears uh, Ehrman has set the bar intentionally so high that no one will ever be able to uh, satisfy his demands for sufficient evidence for faith. And we see this in some debates that he has where, you know, he, he will talk about that he won't believe that Mark wrote Mark unless Mark signed three different documents <laughs> for it and all That's this right. stuff. It's like, well, you you don't take that for the life of um, a Caesar print or, with blood yeah, and yeah, yeah or, or anything, the Shroud of Turin, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for example, despite the New Testament manuscript evidence being far superior to any work of anti- antiquity, that is not enough for Ehrman. Yeah. And so that that's if if you had that on the life of Caesar, if you had Caesar's own hey, uh, I'm going to pay you to follow me around and, and write all my, my pontifical sayings, yeah. then um, it, that would be a treasure trove for historians. Oh, yeah. They would right. love that. Yeah. What yeah. were you thinking when you, you know, had this battle where you were outnumbered one to five <laughs> and you, you somehow uh, uh, lived and, and, and uh, won the day and then crossed the Rubicon? What were you thinking as yeah. you did that? Yeah. They would love that. Oh, yeah, that'd be but great. Yeah. Here we have the same exact thing, and it's it's – Scattered to the winds because it has supernatural claims to it or uh, origins from it. Right, right. And so, you know, um, you know, despite the superiority of these books, he's, you know, he fails to, to accept them. Also, despite the core theological truths that run through the writings of the various um, authors of the New right. Testament and, and the legitimate diversity within these books, he sees theological contradictions, right? And yet, we, you know, there are core truths. They all relate back to the New Testament. They're talking about Jesus and what he had to say. So, so in answering Erdman's objections to faith in, in uh, the God and, and Jesus revealed in the Bible, we have observed in this particular text here uh, numerous reasons to believe from the vast and early manuscript evidence to the remarkably remarkable unity amid the diverse New Testament authors and the various genres. Right. 
Uh, Erdman's objections, it seems, once explored, point us to evidence in support of Scripture. Right. right? So he's, he's, as they have said, done us a favor. Right. Right. He, he says, like, you know, if, if uh, we can show that the New Testament authors use scribes, then my argument goes away. Well, it seems to be both internal and externally valid, and yeah. so it seems like his argument will go away, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> and it's not like Ehrman doesn't know these and doesn't know this, and he hasn't worked with some of the best textual scholars in, in the world in his heyday. And he or, is one of them, Right, quite yeah, frankly, yeah, yes. absolutely. You, can't, you cannot knock him for, for his lack of credentials or experience, but yeah. uh, there's just uh, something of, of a roadblock, maybe a Romans 1 roadblock. <laughs> So, however, if evidence is uh, in support of uh, is one thing, you might be saying, "But I need proof." Yeah. And unfortunately, proof can be this this tricky term that yeah. our, our authors proof, point proof, to. Proof, proof. So, uh, you yeah. know, what is proof? How do how do we define proof? Two well, plus two is four. There's <laughs> proof. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 a circle has no edges. <laughs> or, uh, right. As as no corners. Triangle is a three sided object. Yeah. Right. Let's and go so, prove that. And and so <laughs> we can do that same thing for history. Well, I can't tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, <laughs> let alone, you know, approve to you with that level of confidence that, you know, two plus two equals four. Yeah. It's different types of proof. And mm. Uh, mm. We, we get in this, especially with things like um, economics. There's there's a whole big divide between Keynesian economics and Austrian economics, where Keynesian wants to plug in all these different variables because you can uh, essentially make a number for every human rational choice within up and down the line and sideways, micro, macro. Uh, but Austrian economics says you you can't do this. This isn't like this isn't like physics. You can't you know say I, I want to make a house and you um, you know you plug in the equation and boom there's the house. Yeah. No, it's people making choices with with so many different changing variables that you have to talk about it in terms of of these um, kind of um, b- basic ideas and and structures of 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 praxeology, humans making decisions. Mm. So you can't codify that in that level. And so here proof you can't do as evidence is it's not a hundred percent to be shown, you know, the the, the things in history happen, but okay. How do you know that? You know, well, we say, uh, Oh, there's video evidence that you can do or uh, photocopies. Well, all those can be fake too, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, especially yeah. these days. Yeah. If if aliens landed on the White House lawn, how many of us would go, oh, this is like War of the Worlds radio show, That's the right. CNN, yeah. fake news, all that stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, how, how do we do it today in things that happen in real time? You know, uh, and how many people, um, you know, don't have any understanding before 1950, before the photocopier, before all this, <laughs> you know, how do we know Abraham Lincoln uh, was alive. Well, he's on our money. That's right. Well, okay. I mean, have you ever seen him? Have you ever? You know, oh That's well, we have right. portraits. We, we, yeah. we, we a lot of people understand that to be the case. Well, we don't. We don't have that type of evidence. Proof. All the time. Yeah, yeah. So we don't uh, prove the uh, the results or prove the Bible. What can be shown is that trust in Scripture is reasonable, and an argument that makes sense can be made. And right. so. Um, we come from it from a presuppositional point of view, and so uh, you know the, the confidence level is of a different way. But if you're talking about historical events and, and proving historical events, then that's a little different as far as what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's a Bible. different kind of right. So you know, again, with regard to the past, one can't um, you know empirically 
prove a historical event in the same one that one can prove like what we have, you know, the illustrations we were using with mathematical equations. Right. And it's so easy to be a skeptic in that way because you just say, oh, well, it, it, it doesn't ring true to me or, uh, you know, George Washington survived. Well, it, uh, you know, the, the, the apostles didn't exist in the, in the same way. It's just America started somewhere along the way and yeah, people right. bought into this fiction. It's like <laughs> Uncle Sam. George Washington is like Uncle Sam. We just kind of dreamt him up as propaganda. We're all just feeding into it. And he's a good idea, but that's all he is, is an idea. We, right. we knew that there were other presidents at the time that were all trying to vie for power. You do that, this, the, the skeptics have done that the same way with, with Jesus. Yeah, right. And so, you know, historical evidence can point strongly in one direction, mm-hmm. but we don't get this mathematical conception <laughs> of proof, right? right? Historical truths are tested by assessing hypotheses uh, in view of the evidence uh, and then accepting the hypothesis that best explains the, uh, the evidence, right? That's how we do it. It's, it's inference to the best evidence. That's the kind argument that we use. Thus, while historical proof is different from mathematical proof, historical evidence can be compelling and it can inspire um, confidence. Right. Right. So uh, the origins of Christianity, one of the central historical questions we have yet to address in our response uh, to uh, Ehrman, uh, our authors say, is how this uh, tiny offshoot of Judaism, which subsequently went on to change the world, originated. Right. If it if it was dreamt up on a on a idea of some dude who died who you know tried to do the right thing but was ultimately murdered by the state uh, because of some crafty people or maybe that didn't happen maybe it's just a, an idea you know okay well you, you see that in history in other ways and and uh, skeptics like to point to the fact that oh there's all these Jesuses running around all these. End times messianic right. people who Claimed wanted to th- th- yeah. throw off the, the shackles of Rome. Uh, we have no clue about them. We don't know their followers. We don't know their teachings. We don't know their tenets other than being anti-Roman. And we know so much about Jesus. Why, why did they win over everything? Right. And, and so much so that once you kill its leader, uh, it didn't go away. In That's fact, right. the opposite seems to happen is that the leader came back. <laughs> and so our, our authors have a really good um, um, a breakdown here of, of the origin of Christianity and the, the weirdness surrounding it. So Ehrman writes about um, what happened after Jesus' death. He says this, But then something else happened. Some of them began to say that God had intervened and brought him back from the dead. The story caught on, and some, or all, we don't know, of his closest followers came to think that, in fact, he had been raised from the dead. And so, okay, so they're just crazy, they're just uh, mistaken, or they wanted to grab power, and they, they seem to have done it. Yeah, yeah. Well, something happened, yeah. though, right, to, to do this, right? And right. we're not exactly they just, sure They just got it in was. their heads. Yeah, yeah. We, we really liked following this guy around, <laughs> uh, pr- claiming to perform miracles. It was a lot of responsibility. We got in a lot of um, boats and, and did things and <laughs> arguments. I just want to go back to fishing, but, you know, maybe we can fleece the people out of some more money here. <laughs> Talking to slaves who have none, but okay. So while Erdman uh, accepts that the disciples came to believe that Jesus was resurrected, uh, and our authors point out in his most recent book, How Jesus Became God, he seeks to explain away the empty tomb by arguing that there was no known tomb to begin with. There wasn't a tomb, is what he says, right? But, uh, you know, is this really historically credible? There wasn't a tomb? Right. Right. Probably not. Right. So he attempts to defend this claim by pointing out that neither Joseph of Arimathea, the man who placed Jesus in the tomb, according to the 
Gospels, nor the tomb itself was ever mentioned in the earliest creed, right? right? Which would be 1 Corinthians 15, right. you know, verses uh, 5 through 3. Right, and that's a, 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 big, a big thing. Uh, even Gary Habermas points to that and says, even skeptical scholars view that as a, a, a creedal creed, and so much so that it might even originate, I think he said something like six months after the resurrection yeah. event. Right. And so right. um, that's coming from, from the people that he's talking to. So yet, 1 Corinthians 15.4 does say he was buried. Oh. So Bur- buried, buried what? Where, yeah. <laughs> in the air, not a tomb. Right. So what did Paul think Jesus was buried in or on or under or around? You know, yeah. it, it, it only leaves you so many options there. Moreover, since Paul follows, he was buried in the same verse with the affirmation. He was raised. The obvious historical conclusion is that whatever Jesus was buried in, presumably a tomb, was now empty. Or he was raised somehow. Yeah. yeah. What is more, the mere lack of a specific reference of to Joseph of Arimathea must not be construed to imply that Paul and the creed deny the event happened. Right. Creeds are meant to be condensed expressions of faith, not exhaustive and his detailed historical accounts. The thing's only two verses long, and right. they're not the longest versions. Right. It's, right. it's not like, uh, you know, Psalm 119. He left where, out this detail, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> you know, he doesn't talk about, you know, where how Jesus was speared and not speared in the side. He doesn't talk about all kinds of things. Well, yeah, it's just a creed, right? And, and it's just a summary. It's a, con, uh, you know, a condensed expression of the faith. That, doesn't that assume that the, the, the people who are creeding are, are, know what he's talking about? reference it and maybe even there's a gospel present that one of his companions has written so he could just be like well there you go if, if you want to know more see the attachment right. gospel so, of luke <laughs> so joseph of arimathea isn't uh you know he mentioned just, in this creed <clears throat> and therefore we know that jesus wasn't buried in a tomb right? this, this poor poor rich man who gave up his spot <laughs> a, a, a tomb that no one else was buried in and he's lost in this creed of two verses. Uh, he must feel slighted. That's right. <laughs> also, Ortman argues that Roman uh, policy didn't allow the crucified body to be uh, buried. Right? right, That was part of their policy. Uh, and there's our, our authors tell us that there is some truth to this uh, in certain contexts. But because Ortman hasn't provided the reader with all the historical evidence, he ends up in concealing more than he reveals, right? So, yes, to a certain extent, that is the case that, you know, uh, they didn't allow crucified criminals, right, to, to be buried. But if uh, this were the normal way the Romans treated the Jews in and around Jerusalem, why did the Romans and the Jews not simply reply to, reply to the Christian claim that there was an empty tomb on these terms? Of course there's nobody in the tomb because he was never allowed to be buried. So boom, end of story. Right. right. You know, yeah. not he's risen. No, or not. Um, well, somebody stole the body. No, something. He was never buried. You know, that, that would have been the end of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That would have been the proper response to claim uh, of a resurrection in an empty tomb. Right. So um, uh, Craig Evans, who's a well-known scholar, uh, demonstrates with reference to Philo and Josephus, among various other sources, that in peacetime Jerusalem, relative peacetime, mm-hmm. uh, and just outside its walls, uh, with its unique political and social situation, right? I mean, we see that throughout history. We see it in the, the Gospels. I mean, the, 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 the fact that um, a pilot 
was releasing uh, known criminals at a certain point in Passover, and yeah. and 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 the fact, the very fact that he killed Jesus or whipped him, when he's like, oh, I don't find fault with this. I wash my hands of it. But if you want it done, like it's on you. Boom. I mean, doesn't that 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 signify some speciality? Uh, there at, at with that regard time. to their relationship with the Jews and how right. they treated them and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So the Roman administration seems to have normally respected Jewish burial customs for the executed. It's one of the reasons why the the Jews have to take Jesus to the Romans because that's pretty much what uh, they wouldn't allow the Romans to do. Yeah, you can have your own temple guards and uh, the, you the, mean Jewish, the Jews. Yeah, they the, wouldn't allow the, the right, Jews to do. Yeah. Right. So the Jewish leaders w- could could um, you know. As, as, hit people with stones for all the sorts of stuff. And uh, they just couldn't carry out capital punishment, which is uh, purveyed by, by Caesar himself. So to cite an example from Evans, uh, it's quote is this, the Jewish historian and apologist Josephus adds that Roman practicators uh, who succeeded Agrippa uh, by abstaining from the inference uh, with the customs of the country kept the national peace. This is from Jewish wars. And then customs that included never leaving a corpse unburied. Hmm. against uh, Appian there. All right, so they just kind of followed the Jewish custom and allowed them to, to do their deal with regard to these executed people mm-hmm. and because they didn't want to, you know, they uh, you know, upset the apple cart, as it were. Right. right. There was some relative peace, kind of, right? And so why stir it up, right? right? You know, this kind of, uh, you know, um, activity. I mean, that's right? one of the reasons why Pilate was taken out was because You've let this Jewish situation get out of get hand. Out of right? hand. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and, and we see um, uh, uh, Joseph Arimathea and probably Nicodemus going before Pilate and asking to take the body, especially at the, the time that it occurred, uh, so that, uh, that they can go wash and be part of, of, of Passover and, and et cetera, because they're touching a dead body and being unclean. Uh, so all these, all these things are, are you know, evidences for this, this burial. And so this is what they're, they're doing here. So had the Roman governors in Israel, especially in the vicinity of Jerusalem itself, uh, regularly crucified Jesus and left their bodies hanging on the cross, is unlikely they would have kept the nation at peace right, right. because of, of all the uh, things surrounding you know, uh, uh, man's curse who hangs upon the tree. So um, uh, th- there's a long history uh, within the, the Jewish mindset of, of why that would be wrong, especially at the time it was occurring as well. Right, right, good. And finally, with regard to this issue of crucifixion and burial and that sort of thing, the archaeological evidence, which Erdman uh, fails to include, supports the contention that in Palestine, the Romans often allowed for the crucified to be buried, right? Uh, for instance, in a survey of the archaeological evidence, Evans cites how certain human remains, which had been given proper burial around Jesus' time, shows signs of Roman execution, right? So you could tell if the body had been, uh, you know, uh, crucified by what it looked like, right? It's pretty holy. (laughs) (laughs) Or or at least the bones, right? So uh, he also notes uh, the dozens of or even perhaps uh, more than 100 nails that uh, had been found in tombs and ossuaries, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these nails included traces of human calcium, indicating that they're likely used in crucifixion, right? So why would you put nails in a, in a you know, in a, in a tomb oh, a with box, the body? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, those were part of the, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> casting, casting nails before, I don't know. Yeah. So Ehrman accepts that Jesus' disciples came to think that, in fact, he had been raised from the dead. Okay, so he agrees with that. 
His argument against the burial of Jesus once again highlights Ehrman's way of, at times, telling only part of the story. That the resurrection account caught on is further evidence that this known tomb must have been emptied. Mm. After all, the claim would have been quickly disproven if Jesus' body had been found put on display. There's a reason that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and asked that guards be put on the tomb. Uh, they could have just pointed and said, no, he's he's in there. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, he's uh, still on the cross. Right, what do you mean, right? right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. We, don't, we don't find this. We don't find it in Josephus. We don't find it in, in Philo. We don't see them writing about how, oh, this crazy sect calling themselves the way or Christians. They think that the Messiah rose from the dead, but he's clearly in the in uh, Joseph Arimathea's tomb at you know this spot. We we don't we don't see that at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah. So since Christianity began because of an empty tomb and because of Jesus' earliest earliest followers uh, claimed that Jesus rose from the dead, what is the best historical explanation for this proclamation and the tomb with no body? Right. For some reading uh, our author's book and for some, you know, who will talk, uh, the greatest challenge to accepting Christianity is not textual variances, <laughs> right. right, or diversity of, you know, the early church. Some people believe this or, you know, Gnostic Gospels may have been part of the deal and they were kicked out. No, the, <laughs> right, the greatest challenge uh, has to do with the question of the supernatural. Right, right. Uh, right, and, was it possible? And, that's right. In other words, can modern people, well acquainted with the basis of science, accept the reliability of documents filled with stories of miracles? That's right. the issue, yeah. right? Yeah. We see this in C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, where he <laughs> says, you know, if you don't even allow for the uh, possibility of miracles, then what what is uh, saying a miracle is possible even do in, in your mindset? Yeah. Coming from a worldview without miracles, nothing can be a miracle. Yeah. So yeah. that's what, it's a good book, really good book. Uh, this question has uh, more to do with one's worldview than it does with any uh, deficiencies in the New Testament itself. If there is a God who created the world, as the Bible claims, then miracles caused by God are not only possible, they are expected. Yeah. Um, arguing that the Bible cannot be true because miracles cannot happen is sort of like arguing that the earth can't revolve around the sun because everyone knows the sun revolves around the earth. Yeah. Okay. That's so not only is that talking about circular. But that's a circular argument. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ecliptical argument. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, once you allow historical evidence to point you forward rather than holding uh, uh, an a priori uh, bias uh, against miracles, uh, the evidence is amazingly strong for a bodily resurrection of Jesus. And this is what people like Gary Habermas tried to do uh, and, and others. Right. So as an approach to looking at some of this evidence, our, our authors wants to s- survey two of the most commonly held alternative explanations, right? Some such as Erdman uh, recently have claimed that the disciples likely just simply hallucinated the whole thing. Yeah, freaky. (laughs) And, of course, our authors are going to suggest that, you know, there are several factors that make such an explanation unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, they go through a list of these various things. So the first one is uh, while hallucinations do occur, you know, since the disciples, Paul, James, that is the brother of Jesus, and at one time more than 500 people claimed to have seen the resurrected Jesus, they would all have had to experience the same hallucination, you know, of the resurrected Jesus. Right. And in some cases, they, they, have, they would have had to experience it simultaneously. Right. And so, you know, that's not how hallucinations work, right? Right, and complicated <laughs> ones. So 
uh, seeing Christ. Okay, we, he's up in the sky. I see a cloud. It kind of looks like him. He's on my toast. It's burnt in this pattern. <laughs> he's in the fire. I see him. No, this is so I'm walking along the seashore. I sat down. At, at, we he made a fire. He uh, put on some fish. He ate right? yeah. all these all these things. He passed through. He uh, uh, the walls. He asked us to put um, his our fingers in his side. All all, Ooh, all these. Yeah. You know, it's it's more than just, uh, uh, oh, I, I kind of see a hazy Some fuzzy, thing. yeah, and, and we're all seeing it, yeah, yeah kind of At thing. the same yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah, th- they're really in tune with each other, I guess. <laughs> so, second, uh, while it uh, has been argued that Jesus' followers were in such a state of, gr- of grief that they hallucinated, this would hardly explain why Paul, mm. remember Paul, the, yeah. the, 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 the guy who killed Persecuted people. Persecuted the church, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, he, he was brought in and... It was a, a nervous situation. Yeah. So Paul, a committed Jewish leader who was persecuting Christians and clearly not grieving, would have hallucinated. Yeah. The road to Damascus. Is is he such filled with grief about what he <laughs> has been doing? <laughs> Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Oh, I've, horses are knocked down. This, this light comes from the sky. Noise is heard. Third, uh, the hallucination theory does not explain why the tomb was empty. Again, we, we still go back and say, oh, yeah. all the, look at all these crazy people, you know, the, oh, tongues of fire floating over their head. They're talking in this these different languages, and they're saying that this tomb was empty. Well, I mean, I remember that. We, we crossed the road coming here to, to go to Passover, and I remember that Jesus guy being on the cross at the crossroads there. Uh, we can just go to his tomb. There it is, guys. Yeah, You're yeah. In, the, in the story. Settle right? down. Yeah. <laughs> Not, nothing's going to come from this. Others have claimed that the disciples simply made up the whole resurrection story. Right? Lunatic so it wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't hallucination. It was just made up, right? They wanted Jesus to be the Messiah so badly and were so disappointed after his death that they concocted this grand hoax, right, mm-hmm. is what our authors tell us. They stole the body of Jesus and then claimed Jesus really was the Messiah and that he had been resurrected from the dead. Yet, obviously, this theory cannot hold yeah. any water either. They, right? they bribed the guards, the guards <laughs> who would be put to death if anything happened. Uh, first, it makes no sense that the disciples would make up a story that claims Jesus is Messiah because he was shamefully crucified and then was raised from the dead, yeah. since this was not common expectation for a Jewish Messiah. Yeah, so nobody expected a crucified Messiah. No one. Right? In fact, the Messiah was supposed to be the one doing the crucif- crucified. <laughs> right, right. He was supposed to be uh, whipping the, the Romans out of, out of Israel. Yeah, yeah. Erman himself makes the point that Jesus did not meet the expectations of the first century Jews had regarding the Messiah, and Erman is certainly right at this point. And this is why that in the Gospels, when Jesus tells the disciples that he would be killed and then he would rise again, the disciples do not comprehend his prediction. Well, what do you mean yeah. about this? And he says it multiple times, and they're like, I mean, he's talking in stories at times, and then he tells us what, what's happened. Let's ask him, because maybe he forgot to explain yeah, to yeah. us what What, what, what kind meant. of parable is yeah. this, right? Take yeah. up your cross and follow after me. Yeah. Okay, uh, it, it's hard. You're, you're using the language of, of the cross. Er, Ehrman would say that that's a later incantation. Uh, but, but dying, I, 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 you mean like die to self? I don't know what that means. Yeah. No, no, that literally means I'm going to die. That's yeah. why I've, we're going to Jerusalem, even though Jewish leaders hate us. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Jesus. You're going to have to keep going. <laughs> uh, in fact, because of these expectations of what the Messiah would do, right, and because of the prevailing cultural uh, worldview, it would have been difficult for people to accept the resurrected Jesus, right? I mean, you had to, you know, 
why in the world would they accept this kind of Messiah? Right. The idea that the disciples would have made up the story of Jesus' resurrection assumes that people were expecting the Messiah to first be killed and then to rise from the dead. And so, you know, that's what people are expecting. This is the one. This is, that is not what they were expecting, right? Or were at least open to the idea, but this just wasn't the case. Uh, uh, Palm Sunday, you yeah. know, the, the, this is the Messiah who comes, takes away the sins of the world. Uh, he's our king. Yeah. He's dead. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it's over. hopefully no Romans saw that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what is more is if the disciples made up such a claim, it seems impossible to believe that they would have carried their hoax so far, being severely persecuted, in many cases given up their lives in very gruesome detail, mind yeah. you, yeah. for what they knew was a lie that they themselves had concocted. Yeah, so I know this is a lie. I know it's not true. I'm just making it up. But I'm willing to die for it? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to recant if I'm hung upside down and a saw is placed between my legs and they start cutting <laughs> until I'm dead. But I, I, I'm pretty sure the word fanatical comes to mind there. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there's at least something there. So if someone is going to deny the resurrection, he or she must be able to explain how a small band of defeated followers of Jesus were transformed almost overnight into bold witnesses risking death by proclaiming his bodily resurrection before many of the same people who 50 days earlier had participated in his crucifixion. Yeah. They go out, they're in a locked room. Then they come out of the locked room and they seem emboldened and suddenly they're growing in population and, and they're doing it at the peak time when Jewish believer, or, you know, the J- Jewish uh, people are coming into the city and they're creating followers. This yeah. is, this is an odd thing happening. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that they made it up? Come on, really? Thirdly, uh, that all four Gospels have women as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection stands against those who claim these accounts are, you know, mythical legends produced by the disciples, right? If uh, first century Jews were going to make up a story, it would be counterintuitive to make women the first uh, eyewitnesses. (laughs) Why? Well, in this culture, women were not permitted to testify in a court of law. Right, so they weren't. Their testimony wasn't seen as as uh, reliable and as men. The fact that all four gospels include women as the first eyewitnesses then points to the historicity of the uh, resurrection. Mm-hmm. After all, if the gospel writers were simply inventing inventing the stories of the resurrection, surely they would have invented male witnesses, right, right. as the first report uh, of the. Yeah, uh, J- John gets there first, then Peter, because he's yes. slower. But but then then Mary can come up behind. Yeah. She's at least yeah. third. Yeah, but we won't have Mary say anything. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. So as a man's testimony was viewed as reliable and would stand up in court, but all four Gospels have women as the first witnesses. The most reasonable them. explanation of this, having women as the first witnesses, is that this is how it actually happened. Mm. Right. Mm. And they're trying to accurately portray it because it would have been so easy for them just to say, well, yeah, it was them. But, but I mean, they came back later. Let, right. Let's 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 put them second. That's right. No, they're they're saying like we're hiding. We're, we're, us us eleven men are in in hiding, in, <laughs> and in, the in women are going forth and to like, deal. Let, yeah. Let's go ask the Romans if we can <laughs> anoint the body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, uh, anoint the body for a Jew uh, to touch a dead body. It, it is. It makes you unclean. You have yeah. to purify yourself, go outside the city, all these things. But they're the ones doing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Isn't it, Peter? <laughs> so finally, the alternative model says uh, you create scenes uh, involving uh, luminaries to buttress the credibility of the made-up story or of a source otherwise unknown. Right. 
Yeah, we do not have a report in the tradition of Jesus' appearance to Peter alone or James alone. Who were the luminaries? Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially those two. Yeah. If uh, one were making up such stories and multiplying them, why do we not have uh, such a detailed account when the tradition knows of such appearances. This shows how carefully and circumspectly the tradition was passed on. There are no additions of the type we might expect if the stories were created to make an impression. Right. So yeah, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, aliens come down, where are they going? The White House. (laughs) There's no other person that that, that they would respond to. Uh, It's got to be the president of the United States. It can't be anybody else. Right, Um, right. So, you know, if they did make it up, they didn't do a very good job. Yeah, it was terrible, <laughs> terrible work. <laughs> uh, N.T. Wright was, was, uh, has articulated this. He says that the yeah. historian may and must say that all other uh, explanations for why Christianity arose and why it took the shape it did are far less convincing as historical explanations than the one the early Christians themselves offered. (laughs) That Jesus really did rise from the dead on Easter morning, leaving an empty tomb behind him. Right. 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 When we, when we see these, um, these other messiahs rise up and they die, the group just goes away or they find a new one to follow. Right. Uh, We really don't like the Romans. You say that you're the Messiah that has come because I mean, what, what's a better rallying cry than, I am in the line of King David, and I am here to <laughs> to throw out just like we did the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Well, I mean, we didn't do that, but we should have, and so we're going to do it with the Romans, That's who right. are exactly like we're the Babylonians. Finally, going to get one here. Yeah, <laughs> and then they get killed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the last part here is called taking up the challenge. Uh, Urban tells. Uh, the following story of how he began his university classes. They, so this they, is really interesting. Yeah, right? they, they yeah. say this. Uh, uh, this is Ehrman's um, uh, quote. The first day of class with over 300 students present a uh, present, I ask, how many of you would agree with the proposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Whoosh! Virtually everyone in the auditorium raises their hand. I then ask, how many of you have one or more of the Harry Potter books? Whoosh! The whole auditorium. Then I ask, and how many of you r- have read the entire Bible? Scatter hands, a few students here and there. I always laugh and say, okay, look, I'm not saying that I think God wrote the Bible. You're telling me that you think God wrote the Bible? I can see why you might want to read a book by J.K. Rowling. But if God wrote a book, wouldn't you want to see what he has to say? Never be challenged by the atheist. Always be challenged by somebody else. But this this is exactly accurate. if, if, If you believe this is God's very word, the creator of the universe, the the person that can is the only person that can save you from the the damnation to come, the destruction uh, that you can only have peace through him. Uh, but it, you know, it's, sometimes I'm, I, know I got I got said. other things yeah. to do. Yeah. I got video games to yeah. play. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I got to go meet friends. Uh, I got to eat. <laughs> you know, all those all those things that I can't do to to flip open a book. Yeah. So our yeah. authors. You know, say we couldn't make the point better ourselves, <laughs> right. right? The challenge for everyone who thinks the Bible is or even is possibly inspired by God is to actually read it. Right? Our hope is, they say, uh, in the, this particular book, uh, Truth in, the, in a Culture of Doubt, um, has, um, you know, they hope that the book has equipped us to give people the reasons why they should shed their skepticism and the doubts of the surrounding culture to give the Bible a chance so that they might experience the power of God who inspired this book. Right. right. And so uh, there we will end it. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this book. Uh, again, we always, we've, so far I've picked something a little different from 
from the categories of apologetics, from theology, from philosophy, and, uh, and hopefully this has uh, grown your confidence, your faith in the Bible, as they would say. And um, we also thank uh, Andreas Kostenberger, Daryl Bach, and uh, Josh Chantra for, for writing this. And um, yeah, it, uh, th- there's, um, th- there's this version and there's other versions for high school students and, and the like. That comes in a kind of a three-volume um, Truth matters. Yes, uh, yeah. subset. Yeah. And so um, the other thing that uh, we might want to point out is at oh, the yeah. very end of the book, there's a, a quick question and answer guide. And what they do, and this is really, really good, they go through each uh, of the chapters and the claims in the chapters, and then they gave, give a sentence or two or maybe a paragraph uh, answer. And so you get a summary of the whole book in about three or four pages, mm-hmm. which is really, really good. Yeah, it's a nice little breakdown of, yeah. of, oh, what was that one claim? What's a quick response to it that I, I can point to? Well, they've, they've, they've done the work for you. Yeah. And so um, uh, hopefully you've checked out um, the, the, okay, the books by the, six pages, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> by the authors. And, um, you know, if, if there's, if there's um, uh, support for the book that you can purchase it, uh, there are authors and, and ministries of, of um of, of them, and I've always included them in the uh, the show notes, so you can go back to any of the episodes and, and check them out there. And uh, we thank you for uh, joining us for another book, and uh, we'll have to figure out what our next one is, and we'll let you know, yeah. as always. Yeah. So um, thank you. Uh, thanks for liking, sharing, subscribing, all those fun things. Again, we, we do it uh, regardless because we have been doing it, and so uh, we thank you for joining along us in the book club, and hopefully you've gotten something out of it. So we'll see you next time. See you next time.